You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Sweden in Focus. This week's podcast was recorded on Tuesday the 5th of July in Visby at the Almadalen Political Festival. The day after we recorded and before we put the podcast live, leading Swedish psychiatrist Ingmarie Wieselgren was murdered in the centre of Visby as she made her way to moderate a seminar. The murder naturally cast a pall over the final days of the festival. You can read more about what happened at thelocal.se. Now, here's this week's episode. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's podcast that casts a curious eye over the latest news from Sweden. I'm James Savage and we're taking a quick pause from our summer break to bring you a special edition. Not from Malmö or Stockholm, but this time from the gorgeous medieval city of Visby on Gotland. Today we'll be talking about the pocketbook election. How will voters in Sweden react to being told they're going to get poorer? The incredible disappearing climate election. And with proposals for language tests and visa restrictions coming from all directions, we'll be asking if Sweden doesn't really want to attract talented foreigners. We're on Gotland for the Almedalen Political Week, where politicians, media folk and lobbyists gather to talk politics. And as such, we have assembled a great lineup of guests. Patrick Kronqvist, leader writer for the Expressen newspaper, and Lawrence Tovat, MP for the Greens and spokesman for Climate and Energy. And as is customary, I'm joined by the local Sweden's editor, Richard Orange. Welcome all. Thank you. Thank you. So we try to strike a bit of a balance between our guests today. So Lawrence, you're the only MP here today, right. um, the only politician. You're the only one we could get to turn up, but it's very grateful you could, that you could come. It's <laughs> lovely to have you here. And you're from the Greens, which is sort of on the, sort of on the left of Swedish politics. Mm, Centre left, I would say, yeah. Centre left of Swedish politics. And, just, and, and, and until recently was part of the governing coalition with the Social Democrats. Right. Right. And Patrick, your expression, you say that you're a liberal opinion page, that's your, that's your philosophy. Yeah. What, does that, what does that mean? That means that we try to get liberal policy through, uh, but uh, we're not connected to any party. And in, in a Swedish context, because I think, you know, if Americans listening, they think liberal, they think one thing. Yeah. If a French person is listening, they think liberal, they think something else. What's, what's liberal in Sweden? That would be slightly to the right, centre-right. Okay, so we're all the way from centre-right here to centre-left, so hovering both sides of the centre. So we're some of the span of Swedish politics here. But we're in Almedalen. This is an incredible festival of democracy. But can you guys explain what you think is good about Almedalen, what what it is for you and your experiences here? Well, I mean, uh, basically it's it's just a a huge political meeting where everyone walks around on seminars and uh, meet each other in different ways and... And mingle with each other, and um, I think it's uh, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. that, that's a, that's a way of describing it. 
and also I mean it's it's interesting you you can you can hear uh, listen to speakers on seminars on on like all subjects that you can possibly think of and when you say everyone I mean is this open to everyone or is it is this politi- or is it just politicians and lobbyists how does it work uh, for a seminar to be an official Almedalen seminar it has to be open to everyone so the address is there and the schedule and you can just walk in there you don't have to be on a certain list or anything so the great thing about Almedalen is the mix it's uh, NGOs it's uh, ambassadors ministers MPs so it's uh, people from all aspects of the political life. And also just people with placards standing in a square, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen right, a few of those, yeah, which yeah. is with some, with some really kind of interesting messages and some, yeah. Like speaker's but, corner. It's very yeah. speaker's <laughs> corner, yeah. But with that said, I would say that it has also been the problem, I think, that it's been quite much only politicians and, and lobbyists. Not only, but last years it has been maybe more uh, before the uh, pandemic uh, Maybe a little bit too much uh, lobbyists, I would say, and and too few uh, ordinary citizens. Particularly from the, from, I noticed this year from the construction industry, everybody seems to, the whole construction industry yeah, of Sweden right. seems to be his. I, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> well, they just got lots of money. I'm not yeah. sure. Richard, it's your first time here, right? Yeah, it's my first Almadalen, and it's amazing. I'm loving it. It's like a sort of political rock festival. It's a bit like Glastonbury <laughs> because it's the, you've got the headline acts, which are the kind of everyone's goes to but it's actually not the best bit about the festival the best bit is the kind of strange I don't know not necessarily strange but some cool niche issue that you kind of wander into that's absolutely fascinating that you had no idea about that wasn't on your radar at all and you suddenly like I went to something on hydrogen in the north of Sweden which I wouldn't have thought I was interested in but I learned and huge amounts. So it's, it's, I uh, am interested in it. That. That's my favourite <laughs> subject, I would say. <laughs> What's amazing is I don't think it would work in the UK. It's like um, it's almost like all of the party congresses all held in the same place in the same time and in Visby, which is the most beautiful city in Sweden by a long stretch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was talking to the French ambassador about this last night and we were sort of reflecting on the fact that big countries can't do this in the same way. You know, France, they have gatherings for different kind of political groupings where, they, where they'll have sort of a summer camps or, or whatever, something similar to that. But Sweden's just that, just small enough and Visby is just far enough away from everything for it to yeah. work, right, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think it helps that this is a medieval city. I mean, uh, since it's not constructed for the car, it's uh, walkable, it's very dense. Um, dense and you, you meet people everywhere. This would not have happened in Kungens Kurva. You wouldn't have the same feeling about it. And there's all these cafes that are sort of that are on the pavement, like in a kind of Italian town, which really helps because you sit there having a drink and then like a minister walks past you just interviewed and mm. comes up and says hello and you're like, oh my god, this is, it, it, it couldn't happen like you say anywhere else in Sweden. Well as we're here, we've got a chance to talk about some of the big issues that are facing Sweden and it's an election year. And one issue that is certain to be important is the economy. We've got inflation close to 8%, interest rates on the way up, and warnings of stagflation, so inflation combined with low growth. And many people are predicting a so-called pocketbook election. Yesterday, Mikael Dambe told us that Swedes would have to accept a lower standard of living. How is this going to play out in the election? I think it will be very interesting to watch. Uh... I think it's worth keeping in mind that this is a new thing for many Swedes. Uh, We've had real growth wages for 25 straight years or something like that. So Swedish political life is not used to that. So I I think they, you spoke about uh, Mikael Dambay there. I think the 
politicians, they, they understand that they need to walk a, a thin line between helping vulnerable households and at the same time not um, interfering with the central bank and their um, trying to keep the inflation low. But my concern is that they will perhaps uh, make the definition of vulnerable households as something that works with their electoral gains rather than, I mean, in strict economic measures. And we've seen this so far, I think, with uh, getting checks for the electricity bills and also they tried to hand out 1,000 krona to every car owner in Sweden. And that is something new. I mean, we have a welfare state. We don't need to, to send out checks like this, really. But so... Um, they they haven't passed the test uh, so far. What do you make of it in the Greens? I mean, on, on your side of politics, because you know it, traditionally in the I suppose on the left, parties are often thinking, well, you know, we want to support people on lower incomes and and and, and keeping inflation low isn't always the top priority. Where's your party going in this, and how are you feeling about it? I pretty much uh, agree on all that Patrick uh, said. Uh, I think that it's it's a it's a balance. Uh, you cannot just hand out money to people that will make the inflation even worse and then it's the wisest thing is to focus on the most vulnerable and, and those with the lowest income uh, and I think uh, Patrick mentioned the, the handout for, for car owners and that's, that's a ridiculous idea I would say I wouldn't expect a green to say anything else <laughs> but, but then on the other hand there is things that you can do and, and focus on the vulnerable people and especially Food, for example, we, we know that everyone needs food. And uh, just to take another example, uh, there has been the, the, the energy prices has gone up uh, strong now, and, and uh, all political parties now are comparing themselves to others when it comes to lowering the tax on, on energy, for example. And that's not a, a wise thing to do. Instead, we should focus on energy efficiency and, and uh, rather save energy in, in these uh, tough times, I would say. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a balance, I would say. But it, it's well, it's worth uh, keeping in mind also that many of the welfare systems are automatically adjusted to inflation, so they mm. will get more money. They have been falling behind for many years when the wages have gone up and been higher than the inflation. But now, for now, the the other thing is true. So the politicians do not really have to do many things. We call it automatic stabilizers. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. that's mm. what I say. Yeah. <laughs> Internationally, mm. yeah. I went to the, uh, the um, a seminar with Swedbank with um, with Mikael Dunbarry, and it was really interesting. And I suppose he's talking to a Swedbank audience there, so he's going to be, you know, the responsible man of finance. <laughs> but right. what I thought was interesting is he was talking about the huge ticket spending that they made during the pandemic. You know, this I think six hundred billion krona or something. He's probably said this a lot, but he said what he sees as a real danger is that. People are used to that. People expect the government to come up and just whack, you know, 200 billion mm. on the table to mm. solve a problem. But actually, that's never happened before and should probably almost never happen again. So he said he was worried about the expectations that has caused. So I'm wondering whether that will happen in this election, whether people will start coming out with like expensive policies uncosted mm. or whether now you'll see them become more responsible. But I, I hope uh, he's telling the truth, but uh, <laughs> I don't think he is, actually. But I think no. historically we have had quite economically sound policy in Sweden, and we had a very stable pension system. But the Social Democrats have started giving handouts just to pensioners. So so I, I'm afraid that they, they've opened Pandora's box, and now we will see in every election 
politicians outbidding each other for this huge group of but, voters. But just to be fair, so it, it, it's not just the social democrats that are handing out money all the time. It's actually the, the, the right-wing parties as well. The general trend is worrying, I would say, and I hope that the finance minister actually talk the truth when he, when he says that. We can't have a, a, a budget system where oh, suddenly it starts rain, then we need a subsidy for a rain cloak. I mean, that's, that's not how you manage a budget uh, in a civilized society, I would say. And also there's the, the problem with the inflation as well. So I hope that this trend in, in the Swedish politics will end uh, soon. I think also it reflects uh, the unstable parliamentary situation. Like if mm. we had a majority government, it would be easier for them, I think, uh, not to start with this kind of bidding war. So hopefully we will have a stronger government after the elections. Right now, the Social Democrats are riding very high in the opinion polls. But can they keep riding high? Can they keep winning when they're telling people that they're going to get poorer? Are the Swedish people ready, mature enough, might be one way of putting it, to take that message, to swallow that message from both major political parties in a way? I mean, if you look at the history, you can see examples where finance ministers has had that message and actually won from it. Anders Borg, for example, after the financial crisis 2008. And also the Social Democrats in, Social in 94. So. Exactly. So I don't think that that message necessarily is bad for the social democrats actually it might actually benefit them but it's it's harder now because in the old days the social democrats and the the moderatona could tell each other not to do this but when the sweden democrats entered we have a third strong center in the swedish politics and it Which is, is it's more a, populistic as well so yeah so uh, then I the think, bidding is is uh, ongoing yeah it's, it becomes more intense because of that, I think. But so far, they haven't come out. You might expect the Sweden Democrats to come out and ask for, you know, checks for people or something like that. But so far, it seems like they're holding back because presumably they're thinking about what's going to happen after the election mm. and going... In, I mean, do you expect them that they will manage to hold their discipline or if it starts getting tough for people? I mean... I don't know, actually. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch the development. If you read what they've said the last 10 years about economic policy, it's mm. it's... They, they are to the left of uh, yeah, almost no. social democrats in, in some senses. So uh, I don't think that they necessarily will change their policy, but they will keep uh, wanting to give up money, like they've always. <laughs> and, and also, if you look at, for example, the energy prices, they are the, the political party that go... Uh, longest when it comes to uh, cutting taxes and, and stuff. So, I mean, they, they still have the, the populist point of view, I would say. The moderates are saying fairly similar things to the Social Democrats. Mm. Where are the big differences between right and left in this election? I'm not, they're not just the moderates, but, you know, between, the, between what you might say is the, is the left-wing bloc and the, the liberal conservative bloc on the other side. There are some quite big differences when it comes to revenues from welfare uh, businesses, for example, where the, the, left, the left side, the red-green red side, uh, wants to stop the, the... Do you say revenues? What do you say? Vinster i välfärden? Profits, Prof- profits in the welfare sector. Profit yeah. in the welfare uh, sector, yeah. And that is one quite big difference between the two options, I would say. And then, I mean, the taxes, obviously, as well. The moderate party went out yesterday and said that they won't raise any taxes mm. uh, if they 
swing the election. I think we're also seeing a situation where the social democrats are trying to minimize conflict with the conservatives on issues like crime, immigration and such. And so they propose everything that the, the moderates have been advocating for years. They are now uh, trying, uh, at least saying that they think the same thing. So they want to at least have a draw with them on these issues and then attack uh, the right on profit in the welfare sector, for example. Mm. But but as when I see Magdalena Anderson and the Social Democrats, I see that they want to make this more of a presidential election. Uh, it was no coincidence that Magdalena Anderson yesterday, when it was Ulf Kristersson and the Moderaternas Day here in Almedalen, went to Ukraine and visited Bucha which she has not been doing before. So, and I also noticed that she, that, that, she, that she arranged a press conference in, at the regiment in Visby for the same time as the moderates were having their economic um, policy seminar. I was like, that would take all the journalists into the middle of the island. That was well done. <laughs> so I'm not really sure that they want a policy discussion as much as a leadership contest and that makes sense when you see her her ratings in the poll. Well it's going to be super interesting to see how it develops but if the economy has risen up the agenda other issues risk being squeezed out. One such issue is the environment and climate change. Lawrence your party for which green issues are obviously absolutely central is perilously close to falling out of parliament if you believe some of the polls. Our columnist David Crouch wrote this week that this was Sweden's incredible disappearing climate election. And Patrick, I saw saw you wrote something similar in Expressen today. Lawrence, as a Green MP, I guess you have some thoughts about this? Mm. And I'm frustrated as well. Why is your party doing so badly? Mm, mm. Obviously there's several reasons, but I think one of the most important ones is that we have been in government for uh, almost eight years, and uh, I think sometimes we took that too serious uh, in the sense that we didn't go out there and, and said that we have a unique voice in, in Swedish politics, and uh, maybe we were maybe too close to the Social Democrats and also other parties that we have cooperated with the last couple of years. I think that the climate debate in Sweden would be much better if they were clearer that there are different options here and that the the differences between parties are actually huge. And we have done a bad job uh, showing that to people. Uh, And actually, if you look at the policy, the differences are actually, they are bigger than ever, I would say. Uh, Just look at this this spring where all parties, except for uh, the Greens, uh, have put forward huge fossil subsidies uh, in a situation where we both have the climate crisis and we also have the, the situation in Europe where we depend on Russian gas and oil and we don't want to subsidize that because then we also subs- subsidize uh, the Putin's um, war machine. So, I mean, those differences are huge and we have done a bad job showing that to the, to the public. There's a strong connection to our previous subjects. Uh, it was easy introducing climate legislation and CO2 taxation in a time when the Swedes got richer anyway. But when we have this pocketbook issues, politicians tend to want to, to compensate for that. And I also think it's a, it's a question of the Swedish self-image. Many Swedes believe that we carry heavy burdens 
in this issue and that everyone else should do more, which is not really true. But this is some kind of Swedish hubris, uh, I would say. So, uh, And I also think that the politicians have been duping the, the Swedes, telling them that this will just mean new green jobs and mm. development and... They haven't really prepared the Swedes for that. This will also be, uh, in some ways, a costly transition. Mm. And then I also think that the, the right-wing parties has done a quite good job to sort of uh, bluffing uh, away this this uh, subject because they have put forward nuclear as the only solution and the the, 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 the most important solution on climate uh, issues. And it's very easy to say that because... Um, then you don't need to take into consideration that I mean, all, all the emissions is in industry and uh, on, on the road transportation sector. Uh, you can just say nuclear. Uh, and, and everyone that knows something about this also knows that nuclear isn't a technique that we can have in, in the short term period. It, it's it's going to be maybe in 15, 20 years. But they have sort of managed to bluff this subject. But they would argue, and they would probably put to you, that yeah. your party has been very, well, has always been very anti-nuclear and has dismissed nuclear as part of the solution. Do you think that your party is at some point going to have to reevaluate the value of nuclear as part of the long-term solution? There are lots of experts saying that it should be part of the solution. So there's two questions here. The first one is, uh, do we need new nuclear? And, and the obvious answer to that is no, we don't need new, new nuclear uh, because we have the wind and the solar energy that is decreasing very fast in price and, and uh, we are building it in a, in a really fast way now. But then, yeah, let's talk about the, the existing nuclear power plants. We have uh, re-evaluated our standpoints there as well, as many parties have done. Uh, and but the reason for that i would say is the war in ukraine i think that now more than ever it's it's very important that sweden can help other countries to uh, free themselves from from the energy dependence on, on putin then i'm i'm ready to discuss to um, keep the, the existing nuclear power plants for a longer term. But what, what, what about when they've done their job? What about when you can no longer use them? Don't we need to start planning for the next the next lot? These small modular reactors, little cute little reactors, just tiny, tiny little ones. There's nothing... The answer is no, we don't need that because the, if you look at the, the transition of the, the Swedish industry right now, the answer is hydrogen, green hydrogen. They want renewable green hydrogen and we can do that with renewables we can't do that with nuclear well you can but it's not cost efficient so uh, i would say that we do have uh, the possibility to have a 100 percent renewable well, electricity system what, what Pat, patrick uh, well I, i really disagree and i i think there's some truth to the fact that the parties to the right are hiding behind this mm. issue the nuclear issue uh it's Instead of a, a climate policy, they just have, in some issues, this uh, demand for new reactors. But on the other hand, I think they've rightly identified that it was a mistake by the Social Democrats and the Greens to close existing nuclear reactors. Lawrence will say that they didn't, they didn't do this, but they did. Well, indirectly, we did. We did. I, yeah. I, I admit that. Yeah, how, many years did, how many years would they have, could they have been extended? More than they were, like five, ten years? They were planned to close at uh, 2025. So it was just a matter of five, seven years. They could easily have been 
upgraded, I, I believe, for 10, 20 years. But I think the, I mean, this, the, they the, en the energy system that you want, we, we see Germany now, they mm. have, have massive uh, investments in renewables and they, they have taken away their nuclear and now they reopen their, their coal plants. Mm. So, so I think that was a major policy mistake from your party and I think that, that that's a reason now that the parties to the right are able to hide behind this, this question. But the German example is a misunderstanding. Uh, everyone is trying to <laughs> project their view on Germany in, in different ways. And, and the thing with the German energy transition is that, first of all, they have done a huge and, and brilliant job in investment, investment in, in renewables. That is brilliant. Then I would argue that their shutdown of the nuclear power plants was too fast. It was the Christian Democrats that did it. I would say, okay, if... I wouldn't do it that fast. But then the misunderstanding is that they use the Russian gas for heating and for industry. They don't use it for electricity. So the shutting down of the nuclear in Germany, it was too fast. But on the other hand, the situation now is really dependent on, on, uh, on Putin and, and what he see doing with Gazprom. So, yeah. But then. But if we, if we walk back what what has happened the last couple of months... The handouts from the government for the high electricity bills, they started before the war in Ukraine. We had record high prices for electricity in Sweden before the Russian war. So mm. something has gone wrong with this transition. And you, you, what we miss in Sweden, what we used to have, what we don't have now, is stable, around-the-clock electricity in the south of Sweden. So I think these high electricity prices is also making it harder to introduce other costly measures for the politicians now. But, but I mean, Richard, I mean, the, the other parties are, so the, the moderates and the left party in particular are talking in quite different terms about, about um, climate change right now and about the price of fuel and, and the left party is going on about um, trying... That you can take charter flights to, to, to Mallorca. They don't want to be the, 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 they don't want to be a kind of moralising party on your own effect on climate change, which I think is probably quite smart from their point of view but I mean I contrast it because I'm down in Malmo so I often cover you know the Danish election I often cover when I'm working for UK papers and you know that was all about the climate and and then the Norwegian one was all about the you know pretty much about the climate mm. and and the Swedish one it's just the contrast it's just not there as an issue mm. and I don't know why that mm. I don't know I wonder why that is it might just be that it's a different time that like you said that now that maybe climate is a luxury it's not it's not a luxury but it feels like a luxury. And and I, uh, it's, I'm glad you're pointing out the U-turn by the left party because earlier we discussed this as it was like this huge gap between the left and the right. But mm. we will wait to see if we have a left government uh, after the election in September, and we don't really know what kind of climate policy we will get with with both uh, with Nushida Gustar changing her positions on, on climate. Just to go back to the things that I said before, I think pointing out differences between political parties is important for me, but it's also important for the discussion and, and the debate. If the image uh, on the political parties is that they all agree on, on climate change, then we won't have it as a de debate in the, in the election. Uh, so I think we have to go back to debating even more, I would say, uh, mm. in order to get the, the yes. subject higher on the agenda. Do you think it's good for the, for the Greens that the left party have done this, though? Do you think it might help the Greens get over the threshold, that they're not sort of bleeding voters to the, to the left party? 
In one way, yes, but uh, on the other hand, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed about the general <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> development where all political parties, except the Greens, don't care about the climate, actually. I mean, what I always think is if you look at the, uh, the Norwegian Green Party, which is a much smaller party, I mm. think, am I right? It's like it's, it's, it's... They were actually just 0.1% uh, away from getting into uh, Stortinget. Ah, OK, OK. So yeah. they were, like, really, really, really close. <laughs> so, but but, but is, the uh, way they ran the election, which, I, I, I mean, I always think the Green Party should do this, was just on... It was very, very focused. It was like, we will shut down the oil industry no more exploration and, and, and we don't care about anything else whereas the Green Party in Sweden like tries to have a policy on you know old people's homes and stuff like that and uh, or, and particularly migration I mean do you think the party would, would do better if it had that focus that, that the Norwegian Green Party has? Well I can I can maybe only say that this is an ongoing discussion within <laughs> the party <laughs> but uh, but actually I think it's quite difficult this because yes the climate issue, the environment, is the most important issue for us, obviously. But then on the other hand, I think we should also be able to have policies in all areas. And also, I mean, we need to develop a green ideology in, in the long term. So, yeah, me, myself, also, I, I also have some trouble with um, figuring the, this out, I would say. But it's a very good point, and I think uh, it's one of the reasons for the problems you're, you're having now in your party, that uh, you've used so much of your political capital to defend the broken immigration system and uh, getting the minister for school, that uh, portfolio, uh, after the first election. And so uh, I think perhaps that many voters feel that you, ha you haven't been the, the pragmatic climate uh, party. When I started out as an, 10 years ago as a leader writer, the Greens had a position between the left and the right, and they could negotiate with both parties. Uh, then you take a sharp left turn and uh, have become more of a, an activist party. And uh, so in, in practice, you haven't focused uh, that much on, on climate. And I also think that you... In well, many, more than anyone else. But. Yeah, but in, in, in my way, so also having the environment over the climate, like we need more metals for electric cars, but you want to stop them at yeah, there's so much I would like to Just a quick note on, on the overall discussion here is that, well, we, we do have green parties that are really niche uh, parties on, on climate and uh, energy and, and um, environment. But then you also have the, the Finnish greens uh, that are, I would say, wider. And you have the, the uh, Hron links in the Netherlands that are wider, I would say. And also the German greens are not just one one issue party so you can find the examples on both sides i would say mm. the Finns are pro nuclear well they are not actually mm. they are, they are not mm. they they everyone that is pro nuclear in sweden wants to tell everyone that they are but they, the only thing they say actually is that they are they actually have quite the same position as we they want to take care of the existing plants and then yeah okay never mind <laughs> let's not let's not go to nuclear again one area one area that the greens have profiled themselves in apart from the environment has been immigration and one issue that both the social democrats and moderates are promoting right now is language tests for immigrants wanting permanent residency or citizenship while much of the rhetoric around these issues is focused on people who came to sweden as refugees the rules will equally apply to those who come for work or for other reasons 
At the same time, they're competing with each other, the moderates and social democrats, to tighten up the rules for labour migration, with both social democrats and moderates proposing a minimum salary for people who want to come here to work, and the social democrats wanting to limit migration to areas with skill shortages. I think a lot of our readers who've come to Sweden to work, to study or, to, or for love, will wonder if Swedish politics and Swedish politicians have something against them. Do they? No, they don't. I just think that the international talent is uh, collateral damage in this. We've had, uh, we've had the most open border workforce system in the world here. And we have the, the, the main problem is that we haven't made a distinction between skilled workforce that we really need in Sweden and non-skilled labor. And we've had the same system for both groups. And in theory, that's perhaps a, a great idea. In practice, it's, it, it's just shown that it's, it's not a good system. Uh, we have had, we have a lot of problem with the workers that are exploited, uh, employers that sell work perm permits. So I think that the, these parties rightly, they have identified the problem and they need to fix this. But the system we have now was not well thought through before it was implemented. And now they want to make quick changes that will have other negative effects. So I think we need to go back to a system that you have in, in most countries, that you you have different cues for, for different kind of, of the workforce. Lawrence Tavat, your party hmm. was um, one of the parties that was one of the driving parties behind the current labour migration setup that we have in Sweden, quite a generous labour migration setup that has been made less generous over the years. But the original um, system was, was 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 one that you your party helped devise. Is it working? Do you, as a party, feel happy with it? I mean, in general, I would say that Sweden obviously need international talent, and and that it's a positive thing if we have. Uh, labor uh, migration, uh, both for Sweden and both for other countries. So the general uh, direction of this is is good, I would say. But then I would agree that maybe some of the parts, when it comes to people exploit exploited in 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 the labor market uh, in a bad way, well, I think that that should be looked into and and uh, changed. Uh, but uh, yeah, in general, I would say that we we all benefits from labor. But just to be concrete, like, like uh, how the system has worked, you, you've been able to come to Sweden, work part-time, earn like 13,000 crowns, bring your whole family with you, no demands for you supporting them. I mean, this is not a good uh, business for a, a welfare system. So that that's the thing that they're trying to address. So what about a minimum salary now, 27,000 and a bit kroner per month as a minimum salary. Is that a good idea? I think you, you can have a combination of, of things. I mean, 27,000 is perhaps a bit high for someone that has just made a doctoral thesis, uh, a, a PhD in Sweden. So I think it, it would be better to have specific uh, quotas or cues and, and rules and really think this through. Because it's not a problem if a, a young person that have been studying in Sweden have a low salary the first couple of years here. So. I think it's, it's hard to have this, this fixed rule for all. Uh, I think one rule for everyone is what brought us into this 
these problems. But do you, Lawrence Tovat, do you think that there is a need at least to clamp down and to, and to have some kind of salary limit depending on your circumstances in life? Well, we don't have the minimum wage uh, system in Sweden. And I think the, the answer would be that more people should join the union. <laughs> and then uh, I guess the details of this you have to talk about with my my colleague, <laughs> rather. I mean, I think the risk is with, with, with going back to that labour market testing that they used to have in the kind of 70s and the 80s or 90s or whatever, it, it, is, is it's, it's just going to be bureaucratic. Are the unions and the government going to be able to respond fast enough in a kind of tech industry to get the right people on the list? I mean, I think it's likely, you know, I spoke to Anders Eagerman, he said, oh, we want it to be quick and easy and, and efficient. But, but is anything the migration agency does quick and easy and efficient? Nothing. No, no, everything no. is. It takes months and months and months. And, and I just don't believe that they'll be able to make it as um, responsive as, as they want. Mm. I think one of the good things about the, the, the Reinfeldt one is that it was just up to the employer. If, if you want to give someone a job, they can come. You know, end of story. It's kind of more leaves it to the employer to decide whether they need that person. If I just can uh, reply to Lawrence about the unions, I, mm. I do <laughs> like the unions, I'm a union member myself, but uh, I think it's quite naive to think that a, a Bangladeshi person going to Sweden to work in a fast food restaurants that are paid f to, for the work visa is rely, have to be friends with their employer to be able to stay in Sweden, that they somehow will be able to find a Swedish-speaking union and to, to, to have then, their course. But then on the other hand, I think that if more people would join the, the union in general, you could have stronger unions and, and better appearance at the workplaces. So, so I would say that we need stronger unions in Sweden in general. <laughs> <laughs> we have, well, just briefly though, on the language test. A lot of our readers, they come here, they work in tech companies, they work at universities, they spend all their days working, they do their work in English, they often are not living with or married to a Swede at home, so they get relatively few opportunities to really practice their Swedish, and they're focused basically on earning money for their companies or getting their research done, and sometimes learning Swedish falls by the wayside. Should they be denied per, uh, permanent residence? Sorry, that was a very leading question. But, <laughs> but, but just to put that point of view, I mean, you know, some, many, many of our readers would argue they shouldn't be denied permanent residence um, in that kind of situation. Should they? Uh, no, I don't think they should. I think they should be able to, to get permanent residence. Uh, again, the problem is this, that we have had these general rules for everyone. I mean... It's not a problem if we have a, an English-speaking person that supports themselves here in Sweden. The situation that we've come from is that we've had a system that you could be a Swedish citizen within five years without ever having had the job in Sweden, without knowing a single word in Swedish or even knowing anything about uh, the Swedish uh, society. So now, as it often does in Sweden, it changes in the other direction. I hope it will not go too far and to be too strict but we've come from a very naive place and I hope we're heading for a, a better destination. Lawrence we've come from a very naive place <laughs> have we? <laughs> I agree on, on the, the, the permanent residence uh, uh, question. Uh, it doesn't, the language doesn't say anything about you being a productive worker in Sweden for example. I mean you can do that uh, without speaking Swedish as well. Uh, so so uh, I don't think that would be necessary. What I find strange is when we write about this and we, it goes out on Facebook and our readers respond is how many of the readers 
want a language test and want a citizen test mm. and say, well, we're here. We, we should learn about it. You know, why go to a country and not learn the language and, and not, not learn about the society? I don't, I'm not sure there's a huge... The people who are opposed to it are mm. particularly the Indian computer programmers who, who are working really long hours, working really hard, and maybe want to stay here for like 15 years, but they don't want to live here for the rest of their lives, but they want permanent residency so they don't have to keep applying for yeah. visas. I've seen a few, I've seen, I've, I've, seen, I've seen a few very annoyed Americans as well yeah. uh, who yeah. haven't quite got round to learning, that, learning and, Swedish. And too old to start. And they, yeah, <laughs> I think that if you, if you have the ambition to, to stay in Sweden for the rest of your life, then you should learn the language. Mm. No doubt about it. I think that's, re- we, we should really... Uh, push them to do that but then you also have these these people that come here and work for 10 years and and then that isn't necessary for for permanent uh, um, residence i would say but even also in this regard it's i think it's collateral damage it's another problem you're trying to address people not having skills in swedish but not having skills in another relevant language in the uh, swedish uh, labor market so but it's well it's worth po- pointing out in this like discussion that if you get a permanent residence in Sweden you have the right to to vote in the local elections and the European elections so even though the local is a fine institution and and it's hard to to really be an informed voter without yeah. knowing Swedish. You, you can't watch all the political debates and really understand what's going on. That's why this that. podcast is so important. This podcast is vital, <laughs> a vital service <laughs> to democracy. They are also in the middle of changing the rules on, in fact, they have just changed the rules on work permits so that you don't have to get permanent residency. You can, you can stay here for the rest of your life and just have a new work permit every three or four years. So mm. I, I think there are ways of staying here without having to learn Swedish under the new rules. Mm. On that note, that takes us to the end of this week's Sweden in Focus. Thank you for listening, and thank you also to this week's guests, uh, Patrick Kronqvist, Lawrence Tovat, and as always, Richard Orange. We'll be back after the summer holidays. Until then, thanks for listening, and take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.